Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. And so this series that we're in is called Unlocking New Levels of Peace. And today I want to speak to you about unlocking new levels of peace, but through the scriptures. And I think that, you know, most of us have, in this day and age, realized the transition away from reading. I think most of us don't read anymore. I remember when I was a kid, I think one of the highlights of my life was being able to go to a library and being able to check out books and taking those home. And and that's how I experienced the world. I experienced the world through reading. And I loved reading. I would read books all the time as a child and as an adult. I I just love reading. Today, even today, I I tried to go digital by... uh, because it was just cheaper to, to do it on a Kindle or maybe to do it on, um, you know, any one of those other platforms and, and even on my iPad. And I just, I just needed to feel the book in my hands. Anybody else like that? It's just not the same. Uh, you know, you can't write sometimes notes the way you want to write them. And everything that's digitized seems to just be easier and quicker and more accessible, but not necessarily better. And, and maybe it's just the way that I've been you know, experiencing literature that, that I just have a preference for books, but I still do. And, and often when I, when I think about reading, I, I think about how connected I am to my Bible. And I have a, a few Bibles that I go to all the time because there isn't a page that I haven't scribbled on. There isn't, there isn't a word that I haven't somehow circled and underlined and, and, and spoken about what that word means. And and when I go back to it, it reminds me not only of what I've experienced, but the the time in my life in which I experienced it. And and then it speaks to me about how that word can can now be different, how I can see it differently and, and understand it differently and now even apply it differently in my life. And there's something about the scriptures that have just proven to me over time. And I've had to come to that conclusion for myself. And there's no way that I could ever convince you of the same. Because it's something that you have to come and make the same realization. That, that the word of God, there is nothing that compares to its wisdom. There's nothing that could even come close to it. It is just, just so much higher than any other wisdom in the world. And then I've experienced that because I've been inspired by so much wisdom out there. I've been inspired by sacred texts that are found in other places. But those things don't even come close to matching the wisdom that is in the scriptures. And it's not that I haven't given it its its due and its chance and its opportunity to inspire me in the same way. But it's just not filled with the same measure of that which is the Spirit. See, the Spirit is what makes the Scriptures alive. And it isn't just that God's Word is Spirit and it speaks to our spirit, but it's that the Spirit of God is so profoundly unique that when you hear it, it doesn't just tickle your ears, 
It doesn't just somehow, you know, bring pleasure. What it does is that it can sometimes be sweet in your mouth, but then it becomes bitter in its taste. Because you realize that as much as this is what you needed, it's also what you struggle with in being able to put it into practice. And so sometimes that which is sweet can also be bitter. That which is good for you can also feel like it's the wrong thing because it's calling on you to make changes that you don't want to make, that you're not prepared to take in your life. But God is saying, no, this is exactly what you need and exactly what you need it for. I, I want to speak to you today about the story that is found in the scriptures with King David. And he wasn't yet king. He, he was an anointed king without a throne and a kingdom. And the king who was still in power was Saul, and Saul was chasing him all over Israel. And, and David ran out of places to hide. And it got to the point where David could only turn to his people's enemies. That's how, that's how dangerous it got for David, that he would, he would rather try his chances with the Philistines, whom he had killed in the tens of thousands, than remain in Israel under the authority of King Saul. And so what he does is that he finds this king who I believe God directed him towards him. And this king of the Philistines, the king of Gad, was someone who was called Achish. And Achish, in 1 Samuel, in chapter 21, verse 10 to 15, it talks about how David had to leave this place called Gath, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And then his brothers and his father's household heard about it, and they went down to him there, and all those who were in distress, and listen to this, who were in debt, so distress, all those that were in debt, and all those that were discontented gathered around him. And so here is David who is gathering people into his life, but it's the kind of people that maybe you don't want around you when things are going bad. These are not the successful ones that you would imagine you want to surround yourself with to be able to prepare yourself for the kingdom that God has already given you. People who were troubled in their minds. That's what it means to be in distress. It means that nothing in your life is working to the fact where you're in such debt that you find yourself imprisoned to your debtors. And there's nowhere for you to go other than to someone else who maybe is on the run and, and, and you're just, just maybe just generally discontent. You ever been with people who are discontent? Don't you find that it kind of rubs off on you a little bit? It's hard to be a positive minded person when someone is always discontent. It's hard to see, you know, 
life from the perspective of things are going to be better when someone is always telling you how life is just so awful? It's difficult to be able to break free from that. And so what happens in the story is that, again, we read in 1 Samuel 22 that these people join David, and then in 1 Samuel 27, David thinks to himself, one day I'm going to be destroyed by the hand of Saul. So he says, the best thing I can do is go and escape to the land of the Philistines. And he goes and he joins his enemy. And then people come with him because they don't have anywhere else to go. They need to be under the protection of someone. And so they decide to go and go and be under the protection of the Philistines. Now, the thing is that, you know, David had already killed Goliath. He had already proven that he deserves in many ways to be king. He did the greatest thing in that kingdom that anyone has ever seen. And he did it against a people that he's now going to for his peace of mind. And, and I say this because sometimes we feel like the only place we can go to have peace is just anywhere other than where we are. And we're willing to do anything and everything to experience it. And what David does is that even though he knows that the Philistines hate him and would kill him on sight, he has nowhere else to go. And so instead of staying with the people that he's supposed to lead, he makes a decision to go to the Philistines who would most surely kill him. But that's how desperate he is. And all along, God is still doing something in his life. And in spite of his choices and in spite of his decisions, God is protecting David. He's making sure that no king raises his hand against him and kills him or the people that have joined him. And so in chapter 29, it talks about how the Philistines gathered all of their forces and the commanders of this army say, you know, what about David? What about David and, and, his, and his own people, his own army? And the Philistines they get angry with Achish, and they said, send this man back. Because in this battle against Israel, by the way, David might have a change of heart, and along with his 600 men, they may turn against us. We don't trust him. And so all the other Philistine rulers put pressure on Achish to get rid of David. And the thing about David is that he has pledged allegiance to Achish. He said, I am going to become your personal bodyguard. Me and my men will always protect you, and nothing will ever come to you. And so imagine that the Philistine army is way ahead of them. Achish is at the back, and then David and his army are protecting Achish. And so Achish protects David. David protects Achish. David believes that this is what his purpose is now. He's no longer an Israelite. Because he has no place in Saul's kingdom. Have you ever felt kicked out of the kingdom of God? Have you ever felt kicked out of his promises? Kicked out of his purpose? Felt like you no longer belonged in the very place that you had sacrificed everything and everyone for? Have you ever felt like God turned his back on you? And so what the only thing you could do was just survive any way you could. And so you went out into the world to do whatever it took to do exactly that. 
And now he had gone up against the Philistines and had killed them over and over again, gone against their greatest hero, Goliath, and killed him too. And now he's protecting one of their kings. Isn't that insane? Tell me you knew this about David. I don't think you did. I looked at your face. You guys are all shook. <laughs> you guys didn't know this about David, did you? I'll tell you why you don't know it. Because you're not spending enough time in the scriptures. See, the only thing you know about David is that he was a shepherd boy. Samuel came along and picked him out of a lineup of his brothers. Then he took down giants. He didn't just want to take down Goliath, he wanted to take down his brothers too. These are the things we know about David. David became a great king, great warrior. But we didn't know that he switched sides. See, everyone always talks about David and how he committed adultery. But no one ever talks about how David committed treason. It's interesting because there are things about David's life that we would always look to and say, this disqualifies him from being the king, except for the fact that God had already appointed him king in spite of all the things that he would do and not do to both honor and dishonor the title that God had given him. I want you to think about that in your own life and how that may be playing a role in your mental health and how that's playing a role in the peace that you're able to experience and maybe that eludes you. You see, if David stood on the ground of his treason, he could never become king. If he stood on the ground of his adultery, he could never continue to be king. But because he stood on the firm foundation that is the word of God, you see, that is why Jesus comes from the house of David, the lineage of the one true king of Israel, and whose throne was not just given to him by God, but preserved so that Jesus could establish his king and his kingdom in all of our lives forever and ever. Amen. And unless you see this, you can't understand that. And unless you get what is happening in his life, you cannot understand how it works and how it can make sense in your own. And you see what happens in 1 Samuel in, in chapter 30 is, is this. And we're, these are verses that we're actually going to read together. You guys good with that? Because these verses are really key to the story that we're going to look at. And look at what it says when David and his men reached Ziglag. And the thing about Ziglag is that this is a territory in, in the Philistine empire that uh, Achish has given David and his men. He doesn't just send them away, but he gives them land to settle in. And to this day, by the way, that land, as it's written in the scriptures, belongs to the tribe of Judah. And so Achish gave him this land that then David never had to relinquish, nor his people. And it's important to notice that. 
And so David and his men, they reach Ziklag, and they found it, look at this, destroyed by fire. Their wives, sons, and daughters were taken captive. And so then David and his men, they wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. And it says that David was so greatly distressed, which again speaks to his mental health and his, and his lack of peace in the circumstances, as you could imagine, because the men were talking of stoning him. All the men that had gathered around him and had survived because of him, all the men who had received this land and the provisions that came from being able to be with David, now they're all turning on him. And so the level of distress that is in David's life isn't just because his own wife and sons are taken and daughters are taken, but it's because the people now that are with him, for him, they want to kill him too. And it says that David had to find strength in something other than what had happened. And so in the same way that they had gone out many times, and if you read it in 1 Samuel, you see that he did this quite often, he went out and he would raid other tribes. And sometimes he'd take captives, sometimes he wouldn't. Most of the time he didn't. He would just take their possessions. But now it's happened to David. And while they had gone out, someone had come in. And the same thing that they had done to others now was being done to them. And what God is doing it is bringing David back to a place where he has to do only one thing, and that's cry out to the Lord. I, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever gotten to that place where there was nothing left and no one to lean on, nothing to depend on other than the Lord. But this is what happens in David's life in this moment. He can't count on his army. They all want to stone him. He's not even sure they'll go out and do battle with him. And so what happens in the story that we're in is that he has to find encouragement in the Lord. And look at what it says in the King James Version of the same verse in verse 6. It says that he had to find encouragement from God. But in the previous version, in the NIV, it doesn't just say encourage, it says strength. And I want you to understand that when God comes to encourage you, what he is telling you is that he is also giving you his strength to overcome. And sometimes I don't understand encouragement the way that the Bible describes it. See, sometimes I think encouragement is that I'm down and what God wants to do is just make me feel good. And I, I've been encouraged by people. You know, they've come into my life and they've spoken positive words and they've prayed for me. They've told me nice things and good things and things that have made me just shift my mind a little bit, just enough. But what sometimes that encouragement doesn't possess is the strength that I need to be victorious. See, God doesn't come into your life just to encourage you. He comes in your life to give you strength to overcome. He's not here just to give you platitudes and to build you up with words, but he comes behind you with power so that you can accomplish what needs to be done, something that you could never do in your own strength. God wants to be your strength. 
And he wants to come with his strength. And he wants to accomplish things that only his strength can. And you know what's cool about this story is that David does go out with his army. They rally around him. And they go back and they take back which was taken. And I look at that and I say, God, you didn't have to do that. But, but he does. He could have left David in that situation and in those circumstances where he doesn't bless him again. But he does. And I want you to think about maybe what has been taken from you. And in the book of Job, we know that Job was one of the most tested people ever in the scriptures. That's why he's there. And we look at his life and we see a person who had such complete favor from God that God would actually speak of him even to the devil and say, look at how proud I am of my servant Job. Have you seen him? And, and, and then the devil just says, you know, the only reason why he's serving you is because you've given him everything. Take everything away and then he'll probably curse you to your face. And then Job does it. And Job does it. Because he realizes that God is a God who, who gives and takes away. But here's the beautiful part of how he gives and he takes away. Is that God, because he's God, he can always restore it and multiply it too. Can we say amen to that? Yeah. You see, he can always do more than just give back what he's taken. You see, when God gives back, he doesn't just give back what's been taken. He blesses it. He multiplies it. And he gives it to you in greater abundance. See, if you understand this, you don't just have encouragement, you have strength. See, I'm not just encouraged by the fact that God takes and gives, but I'm encouraged by the strength of how he multiplies and entrusts me with more because I do not curse him, but I bless him in all seasons of my life. See, that's, that's the difference maker. That's how we stand on the authority of God's word. See, that's how the word of God gives us peace of mind when we lose things, when things are taken away. When raiders come and they take everything that is important to us and they remove it from our life. When those who are supposed to be in our army turn against us and want to stone us. You see, in all of those circumstances, none of those things changed anything for David because he went to the Lord for encouragement, but he also went to him for strength. That's what made David different. That even in his moments of his greatest brokenness, he understood who the bread of life was. And who would always feed him and nourish him and, and care for him no matter what the circumstances were. There's a psalm about this story, by the way. And it's Psalm 34. And at the beginning of the psalm, it actually says, it's a psalm of David. And it says that when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. And the thing about Abimelech is that it's another term or word to mean Akish. Do you know that, that David went to Akish twice in his life? And Psalm 34 talks about how God was so faithful to David that he protected him the first time and the second time. You know, what happens in the story is that David actually pretends to be mad. He pretends to be insane. He pretends to have lost his mind. Because when he goes to Achish the first time, 
he realizes that they're about to kill him because they've identified who he is. They've recognized him, and they know the songs that have been sung of him. And so the only thing that he can do is pretend to be crazy. And the scriptures say that he began to scratch at the gates, and he began to drool, and it was running down his beard. And he made himself disgusting to not only listen to, but to look at. And when Akish hears these things, he says, why have you brought a mad man into my kingdom? Why have you brought him into my palace? Why have you brought him before my throne? Don't I have enough crazy people around me already? That I would need one more? And imagine that somehow God always had a plan. That even though David was doing what he could to save his life, and he was manipulating, lying, deceiving, and doing everything he could do to survive during that time, during that time he didn't have peace in his mind. But God was giving him peace through his scriptures. He was giving him peace through his promises. That even though David couldn't believe in them in the moments that he was in, and he thought he had to just fend for himself and do whatever it took to get out of the circumstances he was in, did you ever lie your way out of something? Did you ever deceive and manipulate just so that you wouldn't be caught? Well, David did the exact same thing. And guess what? He, had been, he was anointed king, and he was doing this kind of junk. And I want you to see that there's nothing that you could have done in your life, nothing that you could be doing right now, today, that can keep you and prevent you from standing on the scriptures and his promises that can remove anything that is holding you back from the great things that God wants to bring into your life. Can we say amen to that? You see, I wanted to read to you Psalm 34, but we're running out of time. But I do want to focus on a few key things before we do. But Psalm 34, is, is, it's a must-do. Read it. Whether it's on a tablet or on paper, take the time to read it. In Psalm 34, it's a great one. Romans 6, I want you to see this verse, 12 to 14. And it's about not allowing anything to have mastery over us. And it says, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And then it says, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are no longer under the law, but you are under grace. And what this scripture reminds us is that God says, I don't want anything to have mastery over you. I want the scripture to have mastery over you. That's the only thing. And so if you're looking for peace in your life, regardless of your, uh, your circumstances, it's going to come through the scriptures. Even before, listen to this, your circumstances change. See, the scriptures have to provide the peace that you are trusting to happen, even though it has not yet happened. 
You need to stand on the authority of what God has already declared. And those thoughts now become your thoughts. That now becomes your faith. That becomes what has mastery over your mind and over the circumstances of your life. And so whether we are temporarily mad the way David was, or we are permanently in a situation where we feel that we are insane because we have no peace because of what is happening in our lives, I need you to understand that the only way to overcome that is to let Scripture have mastery over you. And this is what it looks like. In Deuteronomy, in chapter 11, in verse 18, it says this, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, and then I want you to tie them as symbols on your hands, and I want you to bind them on your foreheads. Because the first thing that the Scriptures tell us to do is to fix our eyes on the Scriptures. If you fix your eyes on anything else, you will not have the peace to overcome. You will not get the encouragement or the strength that you need to be victorious in your life. And so what you need to do is you need to match the circumstances of your life with the promises that God has already spoken in his word. God has already spoken to your situation. You just need to find those words and then speak those words over your circumstances so that they have mastery not only over your mind, but over your life. And that every time you look at the circumstances of your life, you say, these circumstances will not have mastery over me, but the scriptures will have mastery over my circumstances. And then you speak the power of God's scriptures. And you speak those words over your circumstances. And you say, today I choose not to believe my circumstances and to believe that this is my future. I choose instead to believe in the scriptures that God has spoken. And what we're seeing in David's life is that this is exactly what happened. God then begins to do a work in David and through David that he releases him from Achish. Do you know that Achish now gets pressure from the Philistine kings? And the kings come to him and say, Achish, you have to get rid of David and his army because we don't trust them. So David has to hear from Achish, David, you've never done anything wrong. You've been a faithful and loyal servant. But here's the thing. You're going to have to go. You're going to have to leave because... The other Philistine rulers, they hate you and they want to kill you. And I'm trying to honor you and your service. And you know why God did that? Because he didn't want David to raise his hand against his people because he had to lead them one day. He was supposed to go to war with Achish against the Israelites. But God wouldn't let that happen. And he, in the same way that he would never let him, never let him raise a hand against King Saul. The scriptures say that when he was running from Saul, he had two opportunities to kill him, and he never took it. I want you to see that when we take revenge into our minds and into our hearts, that all we're doing is that we are accentuating the lack of peace that we are going to experience in our everyday. But when we trust in the scriptures, we don't have to take matters into our own hands. We don't have to go against the people that God has called us to lead in like David, because God has already made a way to handle that. When Saul goes out into battle, it's the Philistines who end up killing him. Because David wasn't supposed to be the one to do it. Because God was the only one who could remove Saul. And it never, never should have been David. 
just like it should never be us. You all have enemies. You all have people that you would love to see bad things happen to. Maybe I'm speaking things into your life that aren't true. Maybe you've never wished anything bad on anybody. I apologize if I'm projecting. <laughs> but we've lived a few years, and at some point, maybe you uttered the words, I wish you were dead. Wish you weren't in my life. Wish something bad would happen to you. Maybe we said those things in our thoughts and maybe not with our words. Maybe the person that it was directed to never actually hurt us. But it doesn't change the fact that we said it. And when we did, we sinned. And when we did those things, we did those things because we felt like the way that we would exert power in our moment of powerlessness was to use anger as a weapon and hatred as an act of war against a person that was also created in the image of God, who God is trying to save, change, and transform and fulfill his scriptures in their life. So what God tries to help us understand is that in the same way that he's trying to do that for us, he's trying to do that for everybody. And so when we fix our eyes on the scriptures, we're saying, we're not going to allow anything to have mastery over me. And that includes my emotions that disrupt my mental health and my peace, my way of wanting to enact revenge is not going to be God's way, so I'm going to let that go, and I'm just going to focus on serving God and loving Him and waiting for Him to bring about the fulfillment of His scriptures in my life. The second thing that I want you to understand is that you need to fix your eyes on your future. Now, when, when God took everything away from David and his men, the reason they were so distressed and they wanted to stone David was because they didn't see a future anymore. See, our mental health suffers when we don't see a future, when we don't see a way forward, when we get stuck in the moment and the circumstances that we're in, when we keep reliving the mistakes of the past and we keep going over it and over it and over again and we're hearing people talk to us about that mistake and how they won't let us or release us or forgive us from that mistake. And so we're always reliving it. We're always experiencing it over and over again. And we find ourselves distressed. We find ourselves experiencing very, very bad thoughts. We, we, we get to a place where it doesn't just speak to us of, of, of the lack of peace, but maybe it's leading us to a place of deep depression. See, we get depressed when we don't see a way forward. We get depressed when we don't believe that there's a future. Does that make sense? You lose hope. And so the only way to speak to your depression is to say, where is it in my life that I have stopped believing that there is a hope for my future? 
You need to address the brokenness that is in your thought process because you need to understand that, that, that what that the devil is doing is that he's leading you into this depression, telling you that there is no future, there is no way forward. But what God is trying to tell you is that that's not true. Look at what it says in Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 24 to 31, it says, Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. And give careful thought to the paths for your feet. And be steadfast in all your ways. And then it says, do not turn to the right or the left, but keep your foot from evil. And what the scriptures here are saying is that the only way that you're going to have victory in your life is that you keep your eyes fixed on your future. You see, you can't get stuck in the circumstances of today or in the situations and the trauma and the tragedies of yesterday. You have to look forward. That's the only way that you're going to keep your mental health healthy. Your mind at peace is believing that God still has a future for you. That no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what they've been, that he is with you, giving you strength and encouragement to keep your eyes fixed, not only on the scriptures and his promises, but on the future that you most definitely still have, a future that God is protecting. See, David was living his life, making his choices, making his decisions. But you know what was happening behind the scenes? God was always protecting him so that he would still one day be king. You need to believe that for yourself. Are there any kings and queens in the house? Come on. Are there any kings and queens in the house? Are there any kings and queens in the house? that God's promises will remain unchanged for you. That he will lead you to the very place that he has promised. If you are ready to believe that today, there is no one and nothing that will ever take that away. Do you understand? No one can take that away. It is a promise that he has made. So fix your eyes on the scriptures. And then fix your eyes on the future that God is doing everything in his power to make sure that you inherit. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Can we just pray together? Father, thank you for every person here. They are your kings and your queens of kingdoms that you have given them. You've given them the power to rule and to have authority, not just over their minds, but over their circumstances. They are not to look to the left and to the right. They are to look straight ahead. They are to look to their future right now. And I pray, God, that they would inherit the promises that you have made to them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. 
A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening and God bless you immensely.